Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. The other day, one of my grandkids, and how many of you know I've got lots of grandkids, uh, I was watching and observing, and one of them wanted to talk to my wife, and her nickname is Oma, which is uh, the German name for grandma. And so this particular young man wanted to talk to her, wanted her attention, and he was interrupting constantly. And now, of course, as parents, what do we teach our kids is, please don't interrupt mommy until she's done. Please don't interrupt Oma. And, and, and Oma did that. says, hold on, I will talk to you in just a moment. Um, and, but he was insistent or persistent. And, and he started pulling on her pants like, I want to talk to you. And I realized that sometimes that when we are interrupted, sometimes it's a distraction. But there's other times when we interrupt and there is purpose behind it. And this morning, I want to talk to you about some divine, supernatural interruptions in our life, our church, our culture. I couldn't help but think when David was sharing just for the offering this morning, the one word that wove through that whole story was this, Jesus interrupted that woman's day. And it was that interruption that changed your life forever. In fact, I would dare say that most of us here today is that Jesus interrupted us. He did something out of the ordinary that became the extraordinary. And so when was it the last time that Jesus interrupted you or interrupted our church or interrupted our culture? I began to think, why in the world does Jesus interrupt us? What is his purpose? Well, sometimes there are things in life that warrant an interruption. Are you aware of that? Uh, I had one a few years ago. I had a bleeding ulcer in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning. Was not feeling well. And I literally could not make it into the restroom. And I lost seven units of blood. Now, from what I understand, that's a lot. And it makes a mess. I won't even get into the detail of that. But I left a swath all of the way into my bathroom. And my wife, of course, she's there. And, and she didn't really think, you know, well, he's just not feeling well until she turned the light on. And when she turned the light on, not only did she scream, she yelled at Colby, our daughter, who was living with us at the time, and said, Colby, call 911. And then Colby called 911, and then we called her brothers who lived close by, and they took me in. And I realized that the reason she interrupted Colby's sleep is that it was a life or death situation. Do you know that God will interrupt us when it's a life or death situation? I look at the interruptions that have taken place in our culture, our nation, our church, and I see something of where God has interrupted our culture for two years. And I want us to look at that through the eyes of Scripture for just a few moments. You see, when I was in the hospital and they were fixing me, it just happened that the guy who did my surgery was the head of all UMC's teaching professors, and his specialty was, guess what, ulcers. He just happened to be there at 3 o'clock in the morning. Happened to be there. His next morning after surgery was over, he looked at me, and he's Sri Lankan, and he, he said in the best voice I can do, he goes, Pastor Masanari, you know, um, you are very fortunate to be alive. 
and I didn't realize how fortunate. And he said, you, most people have bleeding ulcers. He says, you, you were not the bleeding. You were spurting. You were spurting blood, and I cannot believe that we finally stopped it. I look at that, and I realize that sometimes interruptions are for a very divine purpose in our lives. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at a few interruptions that took place with Peter. We're going to see him called Simon here. We're going to see it with a guy named Levi, whose name later will be Matthew. And we're going to look at, at how God intersects all of our lives through this concept of divine interruption. Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and by the way, that is the same as the Sea of Galilee, or some translations say the Sea of Tiberias. It was a lake, 13 miles long by about 8 miles wide. It wasn't a sea. Now, it acted like a sea because of the way the wind that would come whipping off the Golan Heights. And so, people were crowding around, verse 1, they were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And so people were hungry for spiritual revival. People were hungry for something new to take place. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now the word that is used there for washing is the word mending, uh, some translations say. But it katharizo, which means to set back in the former condition that the net was in. In other words, they're, they're literally sewing it, reweaving it, making sure that to restore it to its former condition. And I want you to think about that for a moment in regards to how God moves in our life. God is in the mending business. When he causes a marriage to be restored, or mends a marriage, he is putting it back into the shape that it was originally designed to be. He's making it like it used to be, how God designed it to be. And so what a wonderful concept of, of regeneration to know that, that God is in the business of restoring, of, of reworking, of putting things back in the right condition, in the right order. And so he got into one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, and I thought this was a, a little bit presumptuous on Jesus' part. And then he asked him if you would put out a little bit to shore. And I thought, that is really pretty bold. He confiscates the guy's boat for the most part, and it says, hey, can you take me out a little way? And so he did, and the Bible says in the end of verse 3 that he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, there could have been a couple of reasons why he did it. One is that maybe the crowds were pressing in so greatly, uh, you know, that, that he was getting claustrophobic up against the shoreline. Or maybe it was just simply that when you go out on a boat on a water a little bit further away, your voice is amplified over that water. So maybe it was the first sound system or the first mic check that we had in the New Testament. Uh, but the interesting thing is the Bible says he sat down. And the reason for that is simply this. Rabbis, when they taught, they sat down. They wanted to be on the same level as those that they were ministering to. So he sat down and taught the people. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, of course this is going to be Simon Peter, he said, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, I love Simon's response. Verse 5 says, Master, we've worked hard all night, and I haven't caught anything. So I'd like to tell you right now, but he does, he's being kind. He's not being sarcastic or uh, sardonic. He just simply says, I've, I've been out all night, and I haven't caught anything, and I really don't like your idea. But he doesn't say that. And Jesus asked him to put his, his nets out again. 
Have you ever had Jesus ask you to do something you didn't want to do? I hope all the time. I hope it's a daily occurrence for you and me. You see, Jesus asks us to do things that are uncomfortable. He asks us to do things that go against the grain many times of our energy level or how our theology or whatever it may be. And so Jesus asked Peter, will you go throw your nets over here? He said, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But, I love this, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. And how many of you know that whatever Jesus has the say-so about in our life, we better listen to him? Now, here's the crazy thing. He didn't want to, did he? No. But he did. And the amazing thing was the result. Let's look what it was. When he'd done so, or when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now, I got to tell you, that's a fishing trip. And all I can think of are there times in our life where we have said, I don't want to do that. And unbeknownst to us, we've missed out on a blessing that God had there for us if we simply would have been obedient. So when they, done, that when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so you've got to figure that out. So he signaled his partners. And by the way, the word that is used here for partners for James and John, they were business partners. This was a fishing business. This is not a troller. This is not a guy who's going out to fish on his own. He has a respectable business that he's in partnership with other people. And he came and they signaled his partner, get over here. I'm going to sink with this, this incredible catch. And when Simon Peter came and filled both boats so full that they almost began to sink, and Simon Peter saw this, and he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You know, sometimes when we are confronted by something the Lord does in our life, our home, our church, it can be incredibly humbling. Sometimes we see the greatness of who he is, the love that he has for us. And we're humbled by it, and we fall to our knees saying, I am not worthy of that. And that's really, in essence, what Peter was doing. Lord, I'm, I'm a sinful man. Why would you choose to bless me like this? Verse 9, for he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, to him, to Simon, you know, mind you, he tested him, didn't he? Hello, you there? He tested him. I want you to throw your nets on the other side. And he did. And Jesus said, I can work with this. You were obedient in this one small thing. I, I can work with this. And he said to him, Jesus said to Simon, verse 10, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. And I believe it's in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, I will make you fishers of men. And guess what they did? They pulled their boats up to shore, got out of the boat. They left. And the Bible says in verse 11, they left what? Everything. And they followed him. I'm going to tell you what. That's incredible. They left everything to follow Jesus. The first interruption I want to look at this morning, there's a series of five interruptions in this passage. I'm not going to be able to deal with all of them, but I want to talk to just a couple of them about some things I believe the Lord has showed me this morning. The first interruption that we have is, is Jesus with Peter. 
Jesus interrupted his life, his ministry, his business. Um, you know, the Bible is filled with divine interruptions, times where God's people need to make a change, times when they need healing, times when they need restoration. Um, God perhaps didn't like the direction the Israelites were heading, so he literally caused and rearranged an interruption to stop them from the path they were on. Out of curiosity, have you ever been detoured or interrupted in your spiritual walk? I hope so. I hope that you're here today because God divinely interrupted your life and to say, if you don't change and accept me as Lord and Savior, you're going to the place that's hot. You're going straight to Hades. But yet, God intersected our path through the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross at Calvary, that upon proclamation of His Lordship in our life, that divine intervention has given to us eternal life. So God is in the habit of interrupting us. Maybe we need a discipline change. Maybe God wants to change our course. And how many of you know this is a pattern that's all through Scripture? I want you to think in terms of, of interruptions that took place in the nation of Israel or with kings or with individuals. And I just jotted a few down. Do you remember when God was upset that he had made mankind? Remember what he did? He sent a flood. I would say that was an intervention. That was, in fact, an interruption. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God didn't like the way the people were going and that they were given to all kinds of impurities and moral destruction. So God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The Israelites were enslaved by the nation of Israel or by the nation of Egypt for over five or four hundred years. God interrupted them. He had given the promise that they would be a nation of many people. But God interrupted that. And he did so by, through a young man named Joseph. And God interrupted his life. He was the youngest of all of them at the time, and he was dad's favorite. And the other boys didn't like it, so they interrupted their relationship with him and sold him into slavery. Joseph went down there. He was known as an interpreter of dreams. He was given high accolades to the Pharaoh himself. And because of that, he was assigned to Potiphar's house where he became the one who was in charge of the household until Potiphar's wife made some advances at him. He shunned her and a woman scorned is, I don't know the rest of it, but a woman scorned, that's enough. And literally... He was thrown in jail, in prison. The Bible, uh, most commentators say about 10 years. So wait a minute. God interrupts Joseph. He sells him into slavery. He throws him into jail. I don't like those interruptions. I don't like it when God decides to change our path. Many times we don't understand interruptions as we are in progress. But many times it's not till months or sometimes years later we see that that interruption was allowed by the hand of God. So what we see here is that, uh, you know, you can go on and how God interrupted Saul and he was removed as king. We, we look at the Israelites and how their kingdom was divided into the north and south, and the Assyrians conquered them and took them captive. And then Joey gave a great message or a series of messages regarding Babylon and how the, the southern kingdom, the godly kingdom for the most part, was conquered and then exiled to Babylonia. And then, of course, we have the restoration of the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. You see, when God interrupts us, we may not realize at the time that it was God. Did you know that? Sometimes we look at things in life and culture and go, well, that's just, you know, that's just the enemy. And it might be. Because I'll tell you this, one of the things we know about the devil is that he comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. His nature never changes. 
But when God interrupts something, listen to me carefully, church. He wants a redo. He wants a reset. He wants to take something that perhaps is worn out, something that's unfruitful, something that is barren, unproductive, overused, sterile, something that is no longer producing life, God wants to breathe life into it again. Let me ask you a question. If, in fact, we believe and know that God is involved in the affairs of man, and if God was not pleased with the direction of where his church has been headed in our country, does he care enough about us to interrupt us? That's not a hypothetical situation because I want us to take to a place of understanding it's an assessment from this pastor to what has taken place the last two years. Now I'm going to really go out on a limb here and I want to say that if I wanted to divert or cause an interruption or I wanted to do something that would distract America I think this is some of the strategies I would develop I think that if I want to get people away from assembling together as the saints of God because I have to tell you I, I love what Joey we were talking the other day and I told him, I just have to be in church. I don't, I don't know why. I know if two or three are gathered in his name, there is in midst. And I say this to all the folks that are watching online, God bless you. I'm, you know, some of you are shut-ins. For me personally, this is me. It's not you. I have to be in church. I have to be with God's people. I have to pray with people. I have to sing. I have to, to worship and just hug your neck or shake your hand or, you know, give knuckles. Because when the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone, how many know he wasn't just talking about marriage? He's talking about fellowship. He's talking about koinonia, relationship. Well, if God, if, if, if God wanted to interrupt us, he might allow this strategy. Let's emphasize in our culture, let's change our cultural mores, our emphases, and let's move more towards the place where football is the thing that more families and more people and more men in America get excited about than ever excited about church. And so we have fantasy leagues, we have betting, we have all of these things that surround this issue of football. If we can't get them to not follow Christ, then maybe we can get him out of church. And so people get excited about Sundays and People get excited about the cathedrals that we have built where it used to be cathedrals to the Lord now that we build cathedrals to 70,000 fans at Raider Stadium. Do you know the first early establishments on the West Coast was always they'd build a church first in a city, in a town. They recognized that God had to be first. That that gathering place was for church. It also was for their school. We have moved so far from that. Well, if I got the men sidetracked, they're, they're off watching football, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I love a good barbecue, and I, I love, you know, tailgates. What about if we get the kids off center? Let's inundate them with weekend activities of soccer, dance, competitions, Traveling softball, basketball, baseball, year-round hockey where I can get those kids so tired where they just don't have any more time left or maybe mom and dad don't have any time left to go to Sunday school and to listen to God's Word as told to those wonderful Sunday school teachers that I grew up with. You say the word Sunday school, most of the kids today don't even know what that means. Man, I was so excited to go to Sunday school when I was a kid. I got to watch Clara Knopfsinger, 75 years old, who was a single lady who loved us. She'd use that flannel board. 
you know, at the time, that was a computer to us. We, it just was amazing what she could do with that flannel board and how I learned God's Word and His miracles. So if I can sidetrack the parents, if I can sidetrack the dads, the football, the kids, so many activities, and, and by the way, moms are in the middle of that because they got to make the orange slices. They have to do all this stuff that enables all those weekend activities. You know, the only thing dads usually do is, is hold the umbrella and pull the little igloo. How about this? How about it? Uh, we'd make our culture such that people just lose confidence in the church. And say the church isn't relevant anymore. Guess what? Statistics show George Barna did a survey in 2017 and said that less than a third of people even respect the opinion of a pastor in our culture today. Two-thirds of people that, that I run into don't think I have a job worth having a job for because I don't have anything in my life that I have to say that's relevant. Now, mind you, 30, 40 years ago, Pastors were held in the highest esteem over any other profession in America. So let me get the dads sidetracked. Let me get the kids doing all these activities. Let's get the moms tired out. And let's lose confidence in leadership in the church because, you know, they're only interested in one thing, and that's your money. And so let's, if that's not enough, let's get a interruption where pastors of large influential churches across the nation those pastors fall into immorality into financial misconduct uh, into bullying their staffs to the place where people are leaving churches in droves and they're disillusioned about what the church is in America it's a pretty good strategy huh and we have fallen right into it. How about this? If that's not enough of distraction to get away from our primary purposes, that is, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves. And yet I can tell you there's countless friends of mine that when they look at the amount of people that are in church, they feel like a failure because they've done something wrong because their church only has 10% to 20% of the people have come back. People become so discouraged. Well, if not any of those things work, what about this? I need to interrupt the church in America. This is from the Lord. You know, this is him saying, I mean, maybe these other things haven't worked. You know what I could try? I could try COVID. I could try, if I can't get the church to change and interrupt where they're going right now, hmm, I'll just shut it down. I'll shut the church down. And he did. And we did. And yet, if we're not careful, we'll miss, because of my opic vision, we will miss the very thing that God has been trying to tell us for the last two years. Do we really think that all of the chaos that we've experienced in the last two years, from everything from wearing masks to being divided about being shot and not being shot, I mean, I should clarify that, taking the, the needle, not, the, not shooting somebody. Whether you're vaxxed or not vaxxed, the endless political diatribes that divide us as a nation right now, inflation, and I don't care what sticker you put on the gas price, it still hurts. How about gender specificity? Rise in racial tension, educational and parental debates that go on in schools across the nation, accusations abounding on both sides and in regards to forced medical mandates. Do we really think that chaos is by happenstance? Hmm. 
Or do we think that perhaps God wanted to interrupt us and say, you know what? There's some things in the church in America that needs to change. And we need to be honest about it, forthright about it, and quit hiding our heads in the sand and blaming the devil every time that something happens because it very may well be. I understand the purpose of the enemy. And yes, we do wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But don't get it wrong. God is trying to say something to us. And are we listening? Sometimes I think the church is just as guilty that we examine our life and our culture through the lenses of all the experts that are in our life. And so we have volumes of human opinions and we have those who are the byproduct of, of having opinions that they're important. And so we get these experts on, on a news channel who's a, a general a former general, and he's going to comment, well, I think that this is what's happening in Ukraine. And I think Putin, this will happen if we do this. Everybody is, is playing Sunday quarterback, and all of the pundits of perspective and all the different news channels, that all of this, we, we don't know where to look or what to believe, and, and there's chaos. You know why we can't decide and decipher what this chaos is? Is because our own lives are in chaos. I hope you don't mind me being brutally honest this morning, but too many Christians have more faith in news channels, an educational system, and the financial system than they do in the Word of God. Did you hear me? We're more concerned of listening to whatever network it is that you like, whatever books that you want to read. And don't get me wrong, I think all of us who love education, we try to be avid readers. But I got to tell you something. Where are we with the Word of God? Do we trust the networks? Do we trust our colleges? Could it be that God is trying to just simply get the church in America to wake up and recognize that the battle that we're facing and what we're dealing with as a culture is just like it was with me with that ulcer. It is a life or death situation. My wife felt I was worth interrupting our daughter's sleep to call 911. Saved my life. Could it be that God is interrupting us and he's interrupting the church and saying, you guys aren't getting it. We're not listening. Okay, how about this? How about I shut the church down? Could it be that some of the things that Scripture addresses this morning that we're going to look at, that in fact, our spiritual DNA mimics that of the religiosity of Jesus' day. And the Pharisees who complained about what Jesus did and who he called and how he did business, they didn't agree with it. So much so that they had him killed. Do we not see those same patterns established in our own lives throughout the course of the history of the Bible of people? And I think in, 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 in essence, we, we realize that if we don't understand this, it will be the death knell of, of ministry as we know it. It will be the death knell when someone says, well, you know, this is just the way we do it around here. We've always done it this way. And when God is pointing out and showing us things that need to change. You know, when you look through all the New Testament, you see all kinds of interventions that God has. 
Joey and I were talking about this. I love driving with him on Sunday morning because I get a preview of his sermons when he preaches. And we were talking about Stephen a couple weeks ago, and one of the things that happened with Stephen in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says there was a great persecution that broke out in Jerusalem. And of course, you know, the, the disciples had been given the great commission in Matthew 28, therefore, go into all the world, go, go, and they said, no, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. They didn't go, so the Lord interrupts them and says, you know what? You're not going. You're not doing what I ask you to do. Now, I don't know about you, Monfred, but you got two wonderful kids. But if they come to a place where they're not listening to what Dad says, he's going to bring down. I mean, he's got some big arms. I, I would not want to say no to that man. But guess what? When we say no often enough and we are not obedient, God says, oh, really? Church doesn't want to go? Doesn't want to follow the Great Commission? I'll tell you what I'll do. Stephen, he gets stoned to death and now everybody's afraid and now persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. And if you look this up historically, there is what was called the diaspora or the, uh, the, the moving of all of the Jews from the Holy Land to other parts of the world. God did it this way. I ask you to do it, boys. You didn't do it. So now I'm going to make things so uncomfortable I'm going to send you out whether you like it or not. Because how many of you know when God loves us and He cares about us, Scripture says He will discipline us. I realize that sometimes, I, I apologize for this, I, I'm a Macintosh guy. I took a bite of the apple in 1986 and I've never looked back. But we had this strange quirk in Macintosh computers and that is if that sometimes things freeze up. And, and I think part of it is I have Microsoft probably 2001, you know, and, you know, those marketers, you know, they keep 2007, 2010. But in spite of it, you know what works? Is I turn my sucker off. I turn that computer off and reset it, restart it, and reboot it, and guess what? Everything works just fine. God is doing a spiritual reboot, a church reset right now. Matthew's Gospel and, and let me say it this way, is that he says to Peter, come and, uh, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the result of their obedience is that they received a blessing. The first person that was interrupted in this passage of Scripture is Peter. It was for a reason. God always has a purpose. And I don't believe for a moment there's such a thing as a, a coinkadink, a coincidence. If God is in charge of our universe and of our lives, does it not cross our intellect that everything that takes place and transpires has first either originated by God or goes through His permissive will? If you have a problem with that, go read the book of Job because it's filled with examples of that. Jesus asked Peter to throw his net out on the other side. I got to tell you something. If I will be obedient to what God asked me to do, you know, his, his desire is like when he said in the Sermon on the Mount, to you if fathers know how to give good gifts to your son, if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? No. And so he talks about the good gifts that the Father wants to give to us. And I think that we've got to understand that when we're obedient to do what Jesus asks us to do, no matter how small, no matter how large, his heart's desire is he wants to bless us. He wants to bless our obedience. And, and so when I think of it in terms of of the, the word of obedience, how important that is in our life, in the church, and in our culture. Do you know in the New Testament there's over 100 verses that deal with 
Jesus and talking about obedience, whether it's to the Father. I mean, John 14, 15 just simply says this, if you love me, obey my commands. Pretty simple, isn't it? We can tell our kids, if you love me, do what I say. And guess what? They'll live longer. Do what I say. But here's the thing is that my love for Jesus, and, and maybe the church has missed this, my love for Jesus is not based on the attendance of a church. It's not based on when I'm up front with my hands waving. And boy, I, and by the way, Joey, I love it when you engage in worship. It, it's just that God has gifted that man. And I love our worship team. But, but I, I'm, there's just a, something that goes forth when there's a man who sings out loud to the Lord. And any of you went to that Derek Carr extravaganza we had at the Thomas and Mac, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I look at this and I realize that obedience is, is not a small thing in our life. Several weeks ago, or actually two months ago, Pastor Christopher Dare, who was on our staff for many, many years, he's, many of you know him, that he's running for, um, for Secretary of State in the state of Nevada. Got Stan Height that's run for sheriff, and, and I, I'm just so glad that people are taking the time to get involved in politics. You know, we need more Christians doing that. But as I say that, He asked me if I would go over to Guillermo's church, and some of you don't know Guillermo, and I can't think of his last name. Um, but he pastors a church, La Familia. Uh, do you remember the name of it, Joey? I, it, familia, I know, means family. You didn't know I was fluent in Spanish, did you? Si, in totale. Talamente, si. Jehovah's me pastor, nada me faltará lugares de los pastos para descansar. You impressed? It's the only verse I know. He asked me to, to go over to church, and Guillermo started out here at Cornerstone years and years ago, and it was such a great ministry. He loved these folks and his people, and their church just took off. I mean, I think at one time they were probably bigger than we were back in our heyday. And so they decided to get some, some property over off Rancho, I went over there because Guillermo's been inviting me over for the last 10 years, and, you know, I'm a little slow. So I get there, you know, and it's a Spanish service. Everything's in Spanish. You know, everybody is dressed to the T. My gosh, I mean, I, I'm underdressed here, and I even wore my dress shoes. And I go to, to service there, and in the middle of it I'm, I'm worshiping the lord and it's just beautiful i don't understand a lot of it but i do understand a lot of it heart wise and then right in the middle of worship and i'm standing there and i think one of the things we realize as we walk with the lord longer you know the, the bible tells us that the sheep know the shepherd's voice amen we know when jesus is talking to us and sometimes we know because we don't like it cast you down on the other side. I don't want to do that, but I've been out all night. But he did. You know what the Lord told me that, that day during the middle of service? And this is very uncharacteristic of me because I try to be dignified. Okay? Just saying. The Lord said, take your shoes off. That is the strangest thing. I'm not taking my shoes off. What are you talking about? If you love me, you obey me. I'm not taking my shoes off. These are my dress shoes that have shoelaces and I have to retie them. And I'm not wearing fake sketchers that have shoelaces, but they really aren't. So if I need to put them back on, they're there. The Lord said, take off your shoes. I said, why? Do you ever bargain with the Lord or reason with him? Why? good question I said so but even more than that he said take your shoes off because this is holy ground this is holy ground now 
to see this in context, there's only one other time in my life that I've ever taken my shoes off because the Lord said to do it, and he said this is holy ground. And my wife might remember this. Some of you that were here might remember this. It was at this church in 1994. During our first worship song, the Lord said, take your shoes off. After being in the hotel for six years, this is holy ground. And I took my shoes off back in 94, but I didn't think there was any necessity to do that anymore. And so finally, begrudgingly, I did so. No sooner than I took my shoes off. Now, mind you, I've been fighting it for five minutes. And don't, don't sit there like you're all pious that you don't fight with the Lord in regards when he tells you, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to talk to that person at the grocery store. I'm not going to ask that person, could I pray for them? Protocol. Dignity. No sooner, and I mean within five to ten seconds, Guillermo looks over at me. And I'm not watching. I'm down on my knees. Because I'm hiding my feet. I don't want anybody to see that I'm a crazy guy. What's that old guy got his shoes off for? Man, his feet stink. You know, I, I thought of everything. He looks right over at me. David, like, like where I, you're sitting is about where I was sitting. He said, I want Pastor Greg to come up to the front. And I go, you got to be kidding me. I don't have my shoes on. Now, if it weren't bad enough, Christopher Dare's there. And any of you know him and remember him, he is very persuasive and very incessant. And he comes over and is tapping me on the shoulder, uh, you know, like, hey, he's calling you. Are you deaf? And I go, yeah. Um, but he kept knocking on my shoulder. And I went, Christopher, knock it off. I know what he asked me to come up there. I can't do it right this second. So I had to make a choice. Am I going to dignify myself by putting my shoes back on and lacing them up? Or am I going to respond to Guillermo and say, Pastor Greg, please come up right now. And so I went up there. Now I'm in a suit, tie. I'm looking good. I go up there. And of course, the first thing Guillermo does, he looks down. He says, Zapatos, is that shoes? You know, why are your shoes off? And I told him what the Lord showed me. And Guillermo looked at me. He said, well, then God must want me to take my shoes off too. And then his wife took her shoes off. And then the whole church took their shoes off and service was over. There was no sermon. We sat there and worshiped for the next 30 minutes and there was a breakthrough that they told me later was absolutely one of the neatest things I've ever seen in the life of their church. And why did God interrupt me in the middle of a worship service? Because He had something He wanted to bless those people with. And unless I was obedient, it wasn't going to happen. And do you think for one moment that you are any less valuable in the economy of God. God wants to use you in your obedience, no matter how small it is. He can do great things in your midst. And He can bless other people. Because I've learned this about walking with the Lord. If God tells me to do something and I don't do it, I'm not going to make it past that point until I deal with it. Sometimes life's like that. Sometimes people come up against weight. Sometimes they come up against with a habit or an addiction. And guess what? Where God wants you to be is not going to happen until you deal with that elephant in the spiritual room. And when you deal with it, guess what? God not only forgives you, but He blesses you. That's the first thing of blessing is through the life of Peter. There's a couple more interruptions, and I'm going to skip through these for the most part. Uh, there was the man with leprosy. God interrupted his life, or Jesus interrupted his life, that's for sure. 
He interrupted it, but first of all, you don't get around lepers. It was against the Jewish law, and yet Jesus touched him. And I love how he did it. Be clean! Now go see the rabbi and make sure you go through the proper cleanliness protocol. Jesus didn't have this long prayer of sometimes we formalize in how we pray for people when they're sick or have a malady. Lord, I... I want to pray for that type 2 cancer that's melanoma that is uh, lymphosyncratic and uh, the white blood cells I want as those are formulated in, you know, the hemoglobin. And we go through all these details of measuring out for the Lord what physical properties he needs to touch. Like, hello, I'm going to tell the mechanic how he built the car. Hello, Jesus is the author of life. He's the one that put our medical our bodies together and yet the next one's in Luke chapter Luke chapter 5 was a man who was paralyzed Jesus interrupted that church service a leper first it was Peter then it was a leopard then it was this guy who was paralyzed four boys four friends took him to the top of the house and I love this. They get creative points for getting in the presence of the Lord. They just cut a hole in the ceiling. That's pretty cool. Cut a hole in the ceiling, and I just can't imagine when Jesus is preaching there, because you know that they had to, to know exactly where Jesus was standing or sitting as he was teaching. And all of a sudden, there's plaster that starts to come down, or concrete, or bricks, or whatever, or hay and wood, you know, because roofs weren't, you know, that complicated back then. Sorry about your roofing company but you know it was much easier back then and probably plopped him right down in front of Jesus and what did Jesus do he was interrupted now sometimes we have interruptions during a church service sometimes it's a baby crying which I love because I always just think that's an amen of the point I just made and it bothers a parent more than it ever bothers it me but the point being is that these guys interrupted Jesus of all things while he was preaching. What did Jesus do? He touched him and healed him. The next one is in verse 27 when Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by name. He was Levi. He was just sitting on the side of the, in his tax booth. And by the way, tax collectors were hated back then as much as they are today. Nobody likes paying taxes. But they particularly hated tax collectors because they, what they did is that they would gouge people. They had a relationship with the Romans. And so when a Jew had a relationship with the Romans, they felt that, first of all, that they violated the law. But second of all, they were traitors. They turned on them. And so if, if I wanted to uh, charge money, if I like you, you're a nice guy, uh, in in I, I'll maybe charge you 14%. Evan, you're a tough dude, uh, you know, and, and you kind of little, sometimes are a little raspy to me, so I'm going to charge you 26%. And so they would do whatever they need to do to make profit. And so tax collectors were literally hated by everyone. And the Bible says as Jesus comes to him, he sees a tax collector, he looks over at him and he says, hey, you, follow me and you know what Levi did who later his name is Matthew who wrote the gospel the Bible says Levi got up and the exact same wording he left everything and followed Jesus so you know what Levi did in order he, he decides to have a party and he goes and he in that party he literally celebrates with all the tax collectors and malcontents and those that the Pharisees thought were not very religious. I look at this and I ask myself this question, why did Jesus interrupt a tax collector? Not only because of his love, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, that whosoever shall believe in him shall have eternal life. God loves us. 
He cares about us. He cares about tax collectors. He cared about prostitutes. He cared about the disenfranchised. And when he did it, he cared enough about them to interrupt them. And when he interrupted them, he gave Levi a testimony that was beyond belief. God reached into his world of tax collectors. He jostled the Pharisees because they thought, why isn't Jesus, why don't they fast like the rest of the disciples or the rest of the religious people do? And so while all the religious leaders were saying, we don't do it like that, why are you with him? Why aren't you inviting us to your party? Levi was having crafted in his life a story that not only would change his life and his destiny, but he had a story that would forever change people's lives. Make no mistake about it, when God interrupts us, he changes our life. And when God interrupts us, he gives us a story. And that story is your story. Your story is unique because you are unique. Don't let the enemy of your soul say, well, you know, you don't have that, that hallmark moment where your life should be on TV because, man, what a great testimony. Because we do that in the church. Heaven forbid that we do, but we do. And so we think, well, I just, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know the Bible well enough. If I can just get him to come to church, maybe. And, and we think, well, I got to know ABCs. Now, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess. We go through all this stuff we need to know. And let me tell you right now, you have a story. You have a story where God interrupted your life, your marriage, your home, your business. And you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And whether it's on a motorcycle or wherever it was, when God gives you a story, go out there and tell people. Why is it we get so bent out of shape that, oh, I don't know, how do you testify, Pastor? Tell them your story. Everybody has a story. And you'd be amazed that when you start telling your story of how it opens up an interruption that God may want to bring into your neighbor's life. The final thing I want to look at, and I'm just going to touch on it briefly, and um, I, it, it has to do with the parable that Jesus tells about uh, the wine, new wine and old wine skins. And uh, please take the time to read that. Uh, you know, I, I think that one of the things that I realize is that um, Jesus liked picking a good spiritual fight once in a while, um, and that's okay. I mean, he could have said when he healed that guy, he didn't have to say that your sins are forgiven because he knew when he said it. He, he's like getting some people really ticked off at him. You know why he interrupted the religious society, the religious establishment? The same reason why God interrupted my life with, a, with an ulcer and with cancer and with vertigo back in 2000 and pancreatitis in 2000. You know why God did all that stuff? Because he loves me enough to interrupt and say, I want you to do this and you aren't listening very well. So I'm just going to redirect you down to nine days at intensive care down at Mayo Clinic. Have I got your attention now? Yeah. God wants something. Jesus wants something in his church that's authentic, that it's vibrant, that's full of life, that it's new. He's not into patchwork Christianity. He's not about putting patches on the old wineskins. Because if you do, they'll shrink and they'll cause it and it'll cause an explosion. He says, you only use new wineskins with new wine. Jesus emphasized the importance of newness. How many of you like something new? Great, two of you. My, my, I, I love, I don't know about any of you here that got a new car, but somebody invited me to come sit in their car the other day. And, and uh, let me just put it this way. My car is a 2005 or four, and, and, and I'll put it this way. 
it doesn't smell that good on the inside. And I, I don't know why, I, you know, it was a used car, so I'm sure it has nothing to do with me. Um, well, the fact I haven't washed it in six months. Um, you ever get in a new car and it just goes, ooh, man, that smells good. You know, I look at this week, we had a, a new baby born to Gabby and Ronnie Miller. They had a new baby boy. Nothing like a new baby. They smell so good. I want to just eat them. You know, new outfit. Oh, is there a lady in the house that likes a new outfit? Any ladies you like a new outfit? Great, three of you. My wife loves a new outfit. She likes when she gets her nails done. She likes it when she does that thing to Colby where there's a extension or whatever they call those things that make you look like more than what you really have you know hair that type of thing I don't know what that's called did you know God loves new things too do you know that don't be ashamed of it behold if any man be in Christ he is a new creation the old is gone the new has come and so we celebrate that. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a new Jerusalem that ascends from heaven and establishes it on the new earth. We're going to be given, and I don't know about you, but this means a lot more to me as I get old. I'm going to be given a new body. Back in the day, my wife fell in love with me because I had nice legs. I know it's hard to believe that if some of you seen me swimming, that my legs look like a topical map of the Ganges River now. But I'm going to get a new body. God's going to give me a new body. And so when we think in terms of, of what He wants to do in our life, God wants to do something new. He wants to, we, we need to walk in obedience, and please do that at every point in your life. We need to not only walk in obedience, but you need to tell your story. And the last thing this morning is that God wants to pour new wine into new wineskins. Which simply means this, God wants to do something new. And I, I'm not saying if you're over 60 that God's done with you, that you're an old wine, because you know, I'm not a wine drinker, but I understand the older the wine, it's usually better. But how many of you know eventually you're going to run out of wine? And what I'd like to close this service today is praying that God would pour out His Spirit in a new way in the life of this church. In the life of the church in Las Vegas. In the life of the church in America. It's not business as usual. It's not going to cut it if you wear skinny jeans and high top suede shoes and dress really cool. God wants to do something that's authentic for every one of us. The way I'd like to do this is I'd like to pray for you. And the way I'd like to do this is might make you feel a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. Because, you know, when God does something new, sometimes it does get uncomfortable, doesn't it? Amen? Well, I would like to pray. A generation is usually earmarked by the 40th year. I'd like to ask that everybody is under 40 years old. I'd like you to stand right now. And if moms, you have babies, stand with them. If the kids need to stand on the chair. But if you're under 40 years old, I'd like you to stand right now. Every one of you. I want you to look around for a minute. That's a lot of young people. You know, when I went into a little Mennonite church in Illinois, and I took my guitar in as a sixth grader into that church, and I started playing a guitar, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And we sang Kumbaya. I want to tell you, that was as different to us as anything could ever be. Now I look out and you know, the songs I used to do are old and antiquated. They're old wineskins. 
But that's okay. Because when you look around you, there are new wineskins that God wants to pour new wine into. New ways of doing things. New ways of praying for people. New ways of reaching out to those who are lost. And guys, He wants to do it through all the new wineskins that are standing right now. Now I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little uncomfortable. And if you don't feel comfortable with this, I'm okay with it. Because I know this is COVID still and there's some leftover social distancing and things. But you who are old wineskins, just saying, I call them whiners. Just saying. I want you, if you're comfortable with it, to go to one person or to a group that's in front of you. And I want you to put hands on these new wineskins. Would you do that right now? Just move from your seat where you're at. This is a take off your shoes moment, okay? This is not, you know, negotiable. And I want you, if you're comfortable to lay hands on them, I want you to lay hands on that young person right now. Let's lift our voice in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you right now. In the name of Jesus, we don't want to be patchwork Christians. We don't want you to just put a patch on an old wineskin. Father, we need a new outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our city, in our state, in our country, and in this world. The way we used to do things, they don't work anymore, Lord. I don't know what's going to happen, but you do. And so, Lord, we pray that those that are standing, that you would pour out your spirit. That you would give them a story that would flow from their mouth to others so that it can divinely bring interruption to their lives and those around them. Father, may your spirit be poured out in a way that when we step back and with hindsight later on, we look back and say, God met us here today because he wanted to interrupt the flow of a service to do something new in our life, in our church. We pray this, we agree together in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody together said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.